0: Broadcasting to Harry Potter fans around the world for more than 11 years. Join Terrence Pinkston, Bailey Riddle, Luke Hogan, Gretchen Rush, and Alex Lohman
1: as they take the wizarding world by storm. This is Hogwarts Radio. Stay classy, Hogwarts.
2: This is Hogwarts Radio, episode 259 for April 5th, 2020. Hogwarts Radio is the official podcast for wizarding news from hpa and brought to you by Drawbridge Media, discussing all things Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts, and the rest of the wizarding world. Catch up with previous episodes of the podcast wherever you're listening or by visiting hogwartsradio.com. Welcome to episode 259 of Hogwarts Radio.
0: I'm Terrence Pinkston.
3: I'm Bailey Riddle.
0: I'm Luke Hogan.
1: And I'm Alex Lillard. Hogwarts
3: Radio can be found anywhere you get your podcasts online. It doesn't matter where you listen, just be sure to click subscribe and you'll have a new episode as soon as it's released.
0: Hey, leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening to, to let other people know what you think of the podcast
1: and follow us on twitter facebook and instagram to stay up to date with the show
0: finally
2: join the unfoundables an exclusive companion to the podcast get unfound today at patreon.com slash unfoundables well thank you for social distancing with us once again and it's been such a productive time for our podcast speaking of productivity and all that good stuff. Has anyone had a chance to rewatch all the movies yet while we're on these stay-at-home orders?
3: Not yet. There's there's so many things I want to get to do while I'm at home and I've got a lot of things planned for rereading and rewatching and Harry Potter is absolutely on my list of rewatchables right now. How about you, Alex?
1: I so I have been following along with our fun watch parties um so to date i've only re-watched sorcerer's stone um candidly i did fall asleep during that which everyone who watched knows i woke up during the chess scene because it was really loud um uh but i have been rereading uh i am a couple of pages away from finishing sorcerer's stone so it's been very Ooh, nice, nice to come home to hogwarts
3: yep
0: yep welcome back and uh yeah i've I, I've been. I've watched *Sorcerer's Stone* as well, and I think our Hogwarts Radio team will be doing a watch party tomorrow of *Chamber of Secrets* because it's the second one, and that makes sense to do that one next. Um, which, in all honesty, it, can we just open up the qu- a quick discussion of just hands down which of the. Eight films is your favorite. He's
2: a quick discussion. <laughs> it's a, no, just a, a, a
0: quick, a quick pick off the cuff. Which, Terrence, which is your favorite of the eight films? Chamber of Secrets. Alex.
3: Ooh, Half Blood Prince. Bailey. I am with Alex on Half Blood Prince.
0: I think yeah. Chamber of Secrets has become my favorite as well.
1: I... Boys against girls.
0: Oh, uh, uh, but Crimes of ooh, Grindelwald is ooh. still the best Wizarding World movie that there is. So that's all that matters. Oh boy! Oh boy!
3: Oh,
2: we're gonna uh, open up a that's can so- of nifflers on this one. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm having a fun time doing our rewatch. There's so many rewatch parties happening now. That, like, this weekend, for example, Wizarding News is hosting one over on Discord. And Jeff has set that up in a unique way to where you can follow along with your own copy of the movie. And something that Wizarding News is going to be doing uh, for the foreseeable future while we're in this COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Um, and just to kind of take Dystopia. everybody's... Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but I also know that, uh, as we just mentioned, you know, Drawbridge Media is going to be hosting one on cast. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun to be a part of, um, and by the time this episode has been released, we will have done Chamber of Secrets, uh, but you are most certainly welcome to join in on Prisoner Prisoner of Azkaban. We invite everybody to join in, really, uh, because it is a lot of fun to kind of go through, regardless if we fall asleep or not. I mean, that's kind of like the best part of a movie experience, I think, <laughs> at home, is that you get so comfortable. No shade. Yeah, exactly. No shade. So, <laughs> Um I know I fell asleep. I I, I no shame here, but um, <laughs> That's okay.
0: It's um
1: I may feel better. <laughs>
0: yeah, if if you're interested, definitely uh DM me. I guess, at uh, LucaFerocious, probably the best place to get a hold of me. Um, send me a, a DM on Twitter or Instagram. I actually get notifications for. So uh, try there. Probably the quickest way.
2: But it's nonetheless, it's a lot of fun. And it's kind of given us some really cool ideas uh, going forward that we are looking to implement here on the podcast. So very cool stuff. Uh, Bailey, do you have an Unfoundables update for us?
3: I do have an Unfoundables update for us. This week on The Unfoundables, Terrence, myself, and Gretchen discussed who we would like to sit down and have a butterbeer with, and some of our choices might just surprise you.
0: Whoa, clickbait much?
1: <laughs> oh, no, I'm so into this. Are you kidding me? That's
0: not clickbait. I clicked. <laughs> I'm t- I, I clicked.
3: You've been baited.
0: Oh, man, I'm interested. Railing and in. I don't know.
3: Let's just say they are not all main characters.
0: Is Frank Bryce on this list? I can say with absolute
2: certainty. I cannot
3: certainty confirm or
0: deny. That Listen to find out.
2: <laughs> oh, boy, that hooked me right there. I have to find out. Is Frank Bryce on the list?
0: You were on the episode.
2: Good God. Uh, it was um, definitely Barnabas Cuff. No, I'm, I'm so um, oh, I
0: hope so. <laughs> I'm kidding. All of the Barnabas ah uh, Barnabas the Barbie, great guy. <laughs> <laughs> what about Emmerich the evil? Come on, we all know him. Oh boy. I think uh, we should
1: warn our listeners that we have the giggles so bad tonight.
0: This <laughs> is We we literally have been drinking giggle water since yes. our virtual happy hour this afternoon. So <laughs> is that what I'm drinking? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh boy. Surprise. Oh, oh boy. Surprise. Who is that? Is that Mickey?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I snorted. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, it's it's, it's, it's it's a visual now. She's, such a fun she's, time. She snorts.
2: Uh, let's go ahead and get to this week's news. Now, a couple of news uh, stories that really tie into each other, but we'll go one by one here. Uh, the first piece of news to update everybody on is the Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park is going to be closed until the 19th of April. And uh, at the time of this recording, I should say that it is we should expect it to be closed for the foreseeable future and not just have a hard end date on that due to the COVID-19 pandemic sweeping through the world right now. But this kind of makes me sad uh, that, you know, the wizarding world, I feel like the wizarding world is all alone and it just has nobody there to be able to go and visit it.
3: So I'm not, going to lie my first thought when they announced that they were closing universal was that it would be the perfect time to sneak in and go take pictures of everything being empty obviously i'm not going to do that because that sounds extremely illegal and we're not we're not going
0: to admit to doing anything like this
3: (laughs) although the thought crossed my mind let's just put it that way
0: (laughs) we've sent the Hogwarts radio drone team So if you see a broomstick
2: flying above Universal Studios (laughs) with a camera mounted on the end of it,
0: don't fret. It might be a (laughs) shovel. Oh, boy.
2: Um, Hey, can I ask a question? uh,
0: Sure.
1: How how many of you are worried about possibly about going to the parks, like once everything's open, do you think that all of this is going to have like a big effect on attendance and and theme parks?
3: Oh, absolutely. I think that even things are going to open gradually, kind of like how we're seeing in China happen right now. But even once things do end up reopening, I don't think people are going to be running to go be social and be out near people again
2: i think you're going to find as as we start to come out of this everybody's going to be more reserved in the decisions that they make with regards to social distancing i think it's something that has profoundly changed the world going forward um and that affects i mean that's going to affect everything uh that's already affecting here in the wizarding world not only the theme park but filming on the third fantastic beast movie has been pushed back because of this and they were actually supposed to start maybe a few weeks ago um which is in turn going to push back the release date. Um, You know, there's a lot of things that have been set in motion that have just really grinded to a stop because of what's
0: been happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like the, I'm not going to get too technical because this is not something I'm an expert on, but like the study of epidemiology, the study of infections, shows that like, hey, even when you you get off, off that exponential curve of you know infections over time and it's more like case new cases per case it's it's not like it's an instantaneous oh now we're off the curve you can have resurgences pretty easy mm-hmm. i think it's gonna take some time for people to and it probably should take some time for people to give it a chance to simmer down now if you will <laughs> and it probably should i'm, I'm I want all these places to be financially supported. And I especially like even local places, right? Like all these local restaurants and bars and breweries that I fundamentally want to support. Like I, I don't want to rush back as soon as the, the government says it's okay to. It, that might not be the right time, even if statistics say maybe it's okay now. It's more of the let's make sure we're doing the right thing in the right time. Timing is everything on this. And rushing back is potentially just as dangerous as doing anything currently. Now, yeah, Bailey, Bailey but, you have mentioned uh,
2: something because I know you're an avid theme park goer. How is this affecting our annual passes for people that have those to Universal Studios?
3: So I actually just got an email last week from Universal in regards to this. Um, I'd heard Disney doing it prior, but basically Universal has announced that they will be extending the expiration of anyone with a current annual pass the number of days that the park is closed. Oh, that's pretty cool. Makes sense. Basically it closed, I think the 21st, at least out here in Los Angeles, the 21st of March, if I'm not mistaken. So right now we're at 10-ish days of closure so far but yeah it's nice to see that they're still going to give you what you paid for yeah, yeah
1: you- i have um i have a a three-day resident ticket um one for universal i got that one and then disney's doing one as well um and disney did the same thing which i think is good on both of them because mm-hmm. i still have a couple of days left so well
0: i'm Next. just worried about that potential of spoiled butterbeer and and wizards brew and like where's that all going you know like it's good beer are, too. They, are they are <laughs> Do they, yeah, are they doing think. curbside orders? I hope so, because like that beer's going to be pills. wasted. Right, <gasps> growler, howler, crowlers. Come on, that better be going somewhere. I'm oh, telling you, I that better be going somewhere. somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'll drive and deliver it. That's fine. <laughs> you know, and, and not. I will to be...
3: buy a kegerator.
0: Oh, I'm about to build a kegerator, a keaser. Actually, <laughs> that's true. That's the truth. It's actually happening soon. So that really just, uh, you
2: you opened up a a door for me, Luke, here. What about all of the wonderful food that they have there? What about the products with expiration dates? I mean, obviously, that's going to go to waste if this, you know, if this goes like any longer, um you know, things you know, are starting to start, start I, I to go bad. I didn't hear any
3: announcements specifically regarding Universal on the food, but I know that Disney donated all of their food to uh, local food banks and homeless shelters. So I would not be surprised if Universal did something along the same lines when they were forced to close.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the only uh socially responsible thing to do. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's a lost. It's a it's a it's a loss, right? So you end up having to find a responsible place to define for that it's spoilage, but this is like the most beneficial spoilage that they can possibly have, right? And it's almost a boon to that part of society, which is kind of odd to say. And I don't. I am definitely not qualified to speak on that at all. But it it's almost kind of like. In this time of turmoil, maybe certain underprivileged underprivileged people are benefiting from certain things like that in a positive way. And that, I think, is a positive we can take out of this, that those things would never happen when there's profits involved, like ever. I mean, it just wouldn't happen. But now – Those companies are forced into a place where they have to do what's. I would hope, this is my conscience, hoping that those things are happening left and right with all all restaurants that can't sell the food that they've got in their freezers that... They can't sell day-to-day, and they're going to responsible outlets.
2: Okay, moving on to the next news story. We have J.K. Rowling coming out of hiding and being more active on Twitter. And it started just a few days ago. But I want to ask, well, what does this mean? What is she doing? Why is she doing it? And after dividing the fandom with recent transphobic comments, is she attempting to sow the divide? Like, what? what is driving jk rowling to jump back on twitter what would you
0: say you're doing here
3: well well you see i can tell you exactly what joe is doing she's sitting at home (laughs) she has absolutely nothing to do and she's going stir crazy so just imagine how much more content we'll get from joe by this time next month
0: as much so we're getting a real harry potter eight (laughs) (laughs)
3: the encyclopedia is finally coming
2: you know, it, I would agree with you normally, but can an author go stir crazy? I mean, to me, it's just, it would be the prime time for them to stay at home and, and really f- double down on the ideas that they have and start flushing out maybe some of the things that she hadn't gotten to that she wishes that she had
0: gotten to. Having just read The Shining last month for Floats Down Here, um, I, I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I you know I don't think that necessarily being home is like an author's ideal writing place I have heard lots of authors who they can't work at home they have to be in a coffee shop or they have to be in a park or whatnot so for some potentially yes but I mean we know that Joe wrote Harry Potter in somewhat public places at least so perhaps that's her issue
2: that's Mm. very true yeah um But why, I mean, what does it mean that she's back on Twitter as well? And she's actually, she's engaging with people, not just retweeting things. Sure, that was, you know, the old Joe on Twitter, but she's actively engaging with people and people are thanking her for this. And I just, I don't, I don't, I don't get what she's doing. I mean... Look, I mean, I mean, at a very high level, yes, I understand. She, J.K. Rowling is an inspiration to people, right, and gives people hope. So, is she, is she like the light finally come on? And did she say, you know what, I'm going to start instilling this hope back into people?
1: I kind of, I think so, actually. Um, and to your point, Terrence, about the direct. Um, interaction that she's had with people, I've noticed that she has been replying, she has been retweeting people like crazy, um, and I and her her recent moves, which I know we're going to discuss pretty soon here on the podcast with audio books and whatnot. Um, but I do also, I can't help but also view this as an opportunity um, for. Joe to kind of have an apology moment with her fans. Um, I I do think she has a captive audience. Um, and I think she has a moment where she can kind of redeem herself a little bit. And in my eyes, I'm still a little skeptical. That's my nature, but I am also really encouraged. Um, whatever the motive is, She, some of the things that she has responded to people with about kids reading Harry Potter for the first time, parents tweeting pictures of their kids getting through the third and fourth book, and she seems genuinely elated and delighted. And as a longtime fan, it kind of melted my heart a little bit. And I was like, you know what? Like, that's the Joe that I grew up loving. Um, So whatever the motive is, I'm really excited. I'm really happy she's doing it.
2: Is this the so, J.K. Rowling that we wish that we would have had a few like last year or year before?
1: Yep, hundred percent.
0: I'm I'm gonna go ahead and give a a quick stab of defense of Joe, just as the humanistic perspective of this. Of think of the world that she lived in for the twelve years that Harry Potter was coming out and was absolutely everything globally. And she's being harassed left and right for absolutely everything. I mean, it's it's the instant stardom, the instant billionaire that she is now, right? Like, that's a lot of things going on. It's hard to fathom what the reality of living in something like that is, right? I mean, that's a whirlwind of life coming at you. And we all make mistakes, but guess what? All of her mistakes were very public, and very blown out of proportion by people who feel betrayed instantly, which is a very vehement people, right? If, if you feel betrayed by some specific thing that she says that it goes against a theme in the story, like she's still just a normal person with great ideals. We make mistakes, but I feel like she's just on that pinnacle of fame where it's easy to bash her and it's easy to say, why are you doing this? When that seems to go against what you're saying in these books. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I I tend to lay off people like that. At least I try to, and she's not perfect. None of us are perfect, but she's doing what she can. And it's a hard thing that she's been put in. And, And also like think of the burnout rate of being so absorbed in that life that yeah she wanted to go off and write Robert Gilbraith books because she wanted to do anything different for like 10 minutes could I Griffin can I get a minute like it's <laughs> it's that kind of lifestyle it's parenting to an extent right Harry can I get a goddamn minute can I just can I go to the bathroom by myself like I think everyone that's in quarantine with children understand this of think of, Everyone in the world coming after you. They all live in your house with you, which is what she lived with. She lived in quarantine for twenty years, and then she finally got a break. And now that everyone else is there, she is able to make her comeback in a, in her own comfortable way. And maybe I'm an apologist for her, but I just I think it's it's easy to sit on this side of her life and and judge her, and I don't think that's quite fair. I uh,
2: I think you make several several great points within that and it's just Mm -hmm. stuff that we as fans and maybe even super fans tend to forget Um, and we are just so critical of her because we have put her on this pedestal as being this perfect being that has kind of instilled all these wonderful values through her writing and we tend to think hey you know what she believes exactly what she writes about um, or she doesn't believe what she writes about, or she should believe this, or she should write about this. It's, you know, we we need to calm down <laughs> as a fandom. Well,
3: and and everyone says stupid things every now and again. It's just when you have the following and the platform that Joe does, millions of people know about the stupid things that you say, and you might not have meant it. You might have worded it wrong. So it, it, everyone makes mistakes.
0: Or it's just out of context. I mean, you can take a really well-meaning quote. I mean, you can make something that's crafted really well. And in context, it's great. It means everything you're trying to say and it fits within theme. But then take that outside of the context that it was developed in and say, wow, okay, this person's a racist somehow. Like, it, you can... You can change the meanings of things by changing the context that they're in. That's just true. And I, I think as super fans, right, as people that analyze everything deeply, we need to give her a chance and and not jump on every syllable as if it's a defining moment in a Harry Potter story. Not everything is the cave, chapter not everything is the forest again chapter in her life she had time to develop those thoughts when you have an off the cuff response she doesn't need to live scripted i i hope that she doesn't have to live scripted i feel bad for her if she has to live scripted that's not fair for any human that's a slavery of a different kind in my opinion
2: is this jk rowling's attempt to kind of sow the divide in the fandom because she recognizes that there is such a divide. And, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it at all. There is a there's a huge divide within the fandom, and, and everybody has their own little factions. Everybody has their own beliefs and things like that. But is this Joe, like, kind of saying, okay, you know what, the, the world isn't a time to need. Let's come back together like we did before, and then everything will be okay, because everything's okay as long as long as long as we're together.
1: I think so. Um, I really do. Whether she's doing it intentionally or if this is kind of the byproduct of her actions, I, I do think this is kind of her healing moment. Um, you know, and I I agree a hundred percent with a lot of the the comments. You know, Luke, both Luke and Bailey and Terrence, all that you have made. Um, I do think there is you know a power in dissent in calling out the things that we see and. What we do with it next, I think, is the defining moment of who you are. Um, I don't know if we'll ever see an outright statement from Jo on the particular topic that she commented on that we're all referencing, but I do think her actions speak volumes right now, and her engagement with the fandom, her making moves to make Harry Potter accessible to a world that is hurting. Um and so as passionate as I am of an advocate on LGBTQ issues, um, I am also really proud of this the steps that she has made. I'm As a fan, I'm still looking for a statement. I don't know if I'll ever get it. Um, but I do think her actions right now speak volumes. And I do want to give her credit for the actions that she's taken. And I, I do think she's trying to sow the divide with fans.
2: Very well put. Um, and even uh, Gretchen has a kind of a thought just on the topic in general. Um, And she says everyone could use a little more Potter in their lives right now. So that's actually, that's actually the start to her uh, newest article that she had wrote over on MuggleNet. It says, so Wizarding World Digital has teamed up with Audible, Overdrive, Bloomsbury, and Scholastic to bring us more magic at home. And she goes through everything in her article, um, very well-written, very detailed article over on MuggleNet. Uh, she, basically, the gist of it is uh, J.K. Rowling, um, since she had given teachers permission to post videos of themselves reading the Potter books uh, so that they can bring the stories to their students, um, it was the start of Harry Potter at Home, and JK Rowling promised there would be more to come. So Audible has joined up has joined the Harry Potter at Home initiative by offering the audiobook of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, I'm sorry, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone for free. It's currently available in 6 languages, English, French, German, Italian, Japanese and Spanish. And if you prefer Stephen Fry's version to Jim Dale's, you're in luck. Stephen Fry's recording of the book is the one available to English listeners. And Audible has released a plethora of other texts for children, teens, and young adults to enjoy during this time away from friends and teachers. Also, Wizarding World Digital is maintaining a Harry Potter at Home webpage, which will be updated with content designed to fight boredom, uh, in quotes, including special contributions from Bloomsbury and Scholastic, nifty magical craft videos, teacher friends how to draw Niffler, fun articles, quizzes, puzzles, and plenty more. End quote. Right now, you can find the sorting ceremony, quizzes, crosswords, and guides to assist those who are reading the books for the first time. Additionally, if you have access to Overdrive through your library, you can also borrow Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone ebook or audiobook. And Patrons can access the book from local or school libraries that offer text through Overdrive, and the book will be available in over 20 languages. And finally, Wizarding World Digital has promised that this is only the beginning of what it will be offering, and go ahead and keep an eye on the Harry Potter at Home Hub for new content, and follow Wizarding World Digital on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter for more updates. I'm excited that Harry Potter is more accessible digitally. (laughs) I mean, we haven't had this kind of reach before, um, where everybody is able to have access to at least one of the books, and now we do. And I'm tempted to say that this is going to—I don't know for sure—but this will draw more listeners in. I think more first-time readers, um, and and attract the new generation who is using those tablets at home and you know the cell phones to keep busy and all that good stuff. This is going to attract that entire new generation to you know the, the Harry Potter stories.
3: Yeah, I think I am really excited that they have made the first Harry Potter book available for audio and ebook downloads for people because it's it's something to keep you busy in this trying time and really kind of help you escape to a new world
0: i'm most excited about our next story
2: well why are you excited for our next story speaking of audiobooks and accessibility look this is actually a follow-up to last episode's news um on on tales of bia labard and what update do you have for us
0: (sighs) tales of beetle the bard is now available on audible and let me tell you friends and friends and neighbors it is so good it is so good i mean we we have some true pros in the acting world in voice acting world that that are giving us these incredible stories that in all honesty i have not listened to in a while i i in my reread, haven't been, haven't revisited Tales of Beelzebub in a while. And let me tell you, I fell in love with Jude Law even more. I, good grief! I mean, that guy, I could listen to him talk about just about anything. And him as as Dumbledore talking about all of his notes on the tales is incredible. His voice is awesome. Ivana Lynch. Telling us about the the the, May, the the Fountain of Fair Fortune is incredible because she is a, a a world treasure, and I want her to do more audiobook narrations because I could listen to her to re- I could listen to Luna Le- read all day long, and be happy. So check it out, uh, Tales of the Boulevard on Audible. It's available everywhere on Audible, and. I love it. It's really really well done for sure. it's really well done.
2: Has anybody else had the chance to listen to it? I know I haven't yet because uh, I think as we discussed in the pre-show uh, I haven't had time to really kind of sit down. I mean it's funny right we're all we're all at home. I haven't had the time to really just sit down and kind of consume the book and really pay attention to it.
3: Yeah, I I find that I've been doing a lot less audiobooking while I've been working from home, which is funny because that's basically all I do when I work from my office is listen to audiobooks. Uh, so I'm I'm waiting for the weekend to be able to kind of just sit down and consume it and really appreciate it for what it is.
0: I will the be- Thing that's really nice about it is it's it's only just over an hour long overall, so it's it's a really easy, quick listen, right? And so it, whenever you do have some time, Bailey, definitely check it out. I think you are going to appreciate it. It's only an hour long. Yeah, no, it's just just over an hour. Oh at, wow, at most.
3: Oh okay. Well, I mean, think about how skinny the book is, Terrence. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah I, yeah. I mean,
2: yeah. I know that, but. I, I don't know. I guess I'm so used to consuming... I mean, my audiobooks range anywhere from 11 hours to 56 hours, so...
0: Yeah, uh, no, um, I get that. I've
2: never never <laughs> listened to anything that's that's under, like, maybe 10 hours or so. so you want uh, to read
0: I'm, Wheel of Time with us? It's only 28 books.
2: Oh, my god. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Wimp. All right, that does wrap up this week's news, uh, and this announcement that we have to you before we get to This week's discussion is something that I am very, very excited for, personally. Um, It's something that has been in the discussion for a a while now. As most of you know, we took a break this fall um, after coming back from LeakyCon and this winter to kind of recharge our batteries and really plan for the future of Hogwarts Radio. And I am pleased to say that Hogwarts Radio is joining Drawbridge Media. And you might know Drawbridge Media as the former the podcast that network. So uh, Luke, I can't tell you how excited I am to finally uh, tell everybody about this. I'm you know, this is this is something that really needed to happen a long time ago. I feel just because of the dynamic of the different shows that are offered and and stuff like that and it's just i mean it's wonderful to be a part of the uh, Drawbridge Media family.
0: Yeah, no, and obviously I've I've been on Hogwarts Radio for what it's been almost two full years now. Mm-hmm. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think it's come it, that, it's
3: That sounds about right.
0: Yeah. I think it's two full years now and obviously we we've had a pretty strong YouTube presence uh, through our podcast that drinks and knows things we've had some crossovers with hogwarts radio and the podcast that drinks and knows things while game of thrones was going on um but we've rebranded to be drawbridge media because you know we, we celebrate all things imaginative and take our listeners either chapter by chapter or episode by episode or just generic conversations like we have here about everything involved in some of the best and most well-known book and tv series that are out there that's what we're focused on we dive into the mythical fantastical sometimes scary but always wonder-filled worlds created by storytellers who you know who make us fall from reality and emerge into something very real and clearly jk Rowling falls into that quite well it's easy to fall into her stories, right? And so at, at Drawbridge Media, we we are focused on creativity, imagination, and storytelling. And there's nothing about Hogwarts Radio that doesn't fit that mold. And the relationships that we've built together and the just the overall identity that we've been working on creating as a unit here... Um, in this Hogwarts radio team, it feels like a really natural fit to what, what we've been doing over at the podcast that.com as well. So I'm, I'm very glad that this is a a merger, a, uh, whatever you want to call it happening. And, uh, I'm excited for what we can do together. Cheers.
2: I will drink to that. Thank you so much. And cheers. It's wonderful to be a part of, uh, the Drawbridge Media family. So thank you for being so in, uh, so inviting and so welcoming. Um, and it's just we... some
0: really cool uh, artwork. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. A lot at, of- At, at you, youtube.com slash Drawbridge Media. It's really easy to find. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe there now. And a lot of cool things happening with Drawbridge
2: Media, uh, which is something that we've, uh, we've been- working hard on is our different projects over there and different new things to come I mean I'm not gonna um, I, I'm not gonna speak for anything here but you know there's just a lot of cool things in store um, and I say that because I'm actively working on a project over there that hopefully soon you guys will be able to enjoy uh, along with Luke and Bailey so cool stuff wonderful wonderful guys thank you so much okay let's get to this week's discussion and it's just a couple of questions i ran across online uh and really they range <laughs> they range from uh number 1 harry becoming headmaster of hogwarts to lavender brown so we'll talk a bit about those um firstly do we ever see Harry Potter becoming headmaster of Hogwarts at a later point in his life?
3: No. <laughs> Long story short, no. I think being headmaster would be like way too, I don't know, regimented or like structured for Harry. And he would make awful decisions when it comes to.
1: I'm going to also go ahead and say no because I feel like there's so many roles that he just would want to break initially. Um, but it just doesn't really match with like his badass or vibe. I feel like you know, he's more hands-on, so to speak. Those that do those, what's the expression? Those that those cannot d- do teach. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Those and that those- do do those that can't teach. And those cannot
1: and those teach, teach don't teach- do. <laughs> oh. Those that can't
0: teach our lawyers. Is that what it was?
1: Oh, (laughs) pretty much. Burn. Pretty much. Uh, Shot right Uh, at the chest, bud. uh, Hopefully you don't need a criminal defense lawyer anytime soon.
0: I hope Uh, I don't. I really hope I don't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I also hope you don't. Um, But yeah, I feel like that expression, it fits very well here.
2: I'll let Alex catch her breath for a moment here. I personally don't see Harry possessing the ability to become an administrator of any kind or a, an educator. he Number one, he doesn't as you were saying, Bailey, he doesn't possess the structure to be able to do it. Uh, he, he, to, he's to quite be literally
3: too cool for school.
2: Well, I let's not go that far. Hang on. <laughs> um, I don't see him having the patience to be able to deal with some of the situations that he would come across. We all know Harry's a hothead and he jumps without looking a lot of times. So that's what I I mean, he would get into a situation one time where he would have to be using a level head and he wouldn't be able
0: to. So. Well, I don't disagree with what anyone said. I disagree with what everyone said. Um, No. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) No, but I'm going to go ahead and play Devil's Advocate because someone has to. I don't Um, like that game. And I think Harry's biggest attribute is his heart. He he is a a heart first person, which makes him an action first person sometimes, right? But guess what? When he's 60 years old, maybe he'll have tempered that a little bit. And he has a life experience that almost no one can top, right? So he's never going to have an ego problem with any students that are too cool for school. That's not going to be an issue. Hey, I have to go talk to Harry Potter about why I skipped class. Like, that's going to be a tough sell for the kid. Um, At the end of the day, to me, his priorities are always in the right place. He might not be the number one person for academic focus, but he knows growing up with Hermione, he knows how to put the people in place to take care of those problems. He knows how to find a McGonagall, right? To be his right hand man or right-hand woman to take care of the the more minute details of running a school. There's a pretty big benefit to having someone like Harry Potter running the school. And I think at when it comes down to it, his his priorities are going to be about the kids. And I mean I'm not saying he's the only one that would ever think that way but I think he could he could manage it. He's he's got a skill set that could be translated into it with a little bit of training.
2: Oh my god Luke while you were talking I just had an epiphany. Did you just describe Harry Potter or Albus Dumbledore?
0: I mean they're essentially like the same same people.
2: So I mean, everything that you just said, you can replace Harry Potter with Albus Dumbledore. And, yeah. And essentially, I mean, you'll have – well, essentially, what, what's it, What What's ultimately going to end up happening is you're going to have another student like Harry Potter come along. You know, that's going to have – And guess
0: what? Who's going to be able to talk to that kid effectively? Somebody that's lived it.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Walk the walk. Talk, talk, the, to talk. the talk.
2: Yeah. Carried a big stick.
3: Walked away. Spoke
0: spoke quietly.
2: (laughs) Oh, there's a lost reference in there somewhere, but I can't say it. So who do we think would win in a fight or in a duel? Voldemort or Grindelwald? I think Voldemort, who openly uses dark magic, would definitely open up a can of whoop-ass on Grindelwald.
1: I'm sorry. (laughs) Go Go, Bailey, go.
3: Nope,
1: nope, nope, go. <laughs> I uh, the only thing I was gonna say is I just love Terrence's use of um, open a can of whoop ass uh, because <laughs> that's totally a magical technical term that I am so down for. Anyways, it I is like that's I'm that's a,
0: a magical theory term. Uh, the magic the, the magical can of whoop ass. <laughs> it,
3: it, it's quantifiable.
0: It is quantifiable magical theory. <laughs> oh my god.
3: Uh, so yeah, I I think that Voldemort would win too, and I feel like I'm gonna say that because I think Grindelwald is very passionate in what he does. He he kind of has heart behind what he does, and he believes in that. Whereas Voldemort is just the evil and dark and awful, and so I think he would just annihilate Grindelwald.
0: So I I think I, I agree. Voldemort would win. Um, I don't know if it would be a Domination of any of any sort, because Grindelwald is incredibly talented. I mean, it, the, the thing that always throws me off is. The initial description of Voldemort being the worst wizard in a hundred years. Like, who was the worst in a, a hundred years before that? Like, Grindelwald was within that 100 years. So uh, that plays into my uh, my thought process on this a little bit. But I, I really look back and think that Grindelwald always knew that Albus Dumbledore was much more talented than him. He was a very solid number two, right? He is number two above everybody else Grindelwald, but clearly knew that Albus Dumbledore was way better than him. Ethel and Albus Dumbledore, it was a pretty solid fight, and there's a lot of things that go into that as well, but I think they were much more evenly matched than Albus and Gellert Grindelwald. So I I think Tom Riddle, because I will call him Tom, would beat Gellert Grindelwald so defiant,
2: not even using hell his his.
0: I will call him name. Tom, even on his birthday.
3: My ancestor.
0: <laughs> yeah, you and you and your uh, your podcasting name of Bailey Riddle, right?
3: I've had so many people tell me that they think that's a fake name.
0: It is, isn't it? I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> sure.
3: we'll come
2: Maybe she's that. just really good at asking questions. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm um, I thought I tried to make funny, <laughs> it did not work. Okay, next question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Venice, how much? Very What's nice. Next next image. Okay, could you have Death Eaters from other Hogwarts houses, Alex? I'm looking at you, Hufflepuff, perhaps. A Hufflepuff, every death, single death one eater. of
1: them. Oh, please. Um, you know, it's an interesting question because the defining trait of a Hufflepuff is loyalty. Of course. Of course. Um, okay, all right, pipe down, Pipsqueak. Um, <laughs> do so, go? it's it's theoretically possible. Um, that said, do you really see a happy-go-lucky Hufflepuff like hopping through the field with a bunch of old morts, like in Death Eaters? I feel like we would probably be the first to be killed just because we would be kind of annoying in the context of a bunch of Death Eaters.
3: I cannot get the image of Hufflepuffs hopping in a field with both bulls- <laughs> <laughs> out of my head. Yeah. It's fabulous. I
0: mean, there's such good finders.
3: <laughs> Hippity-hoppity-hufflepuffs, y'all. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: so good.
0: Hippity-hoppity-hufflepuffs. <laughs> <laughs> it is... I mean, it is that time of year, right? It's that's very very <laughs> true. Yeah.
3: The huffle bunnies?
0: Yeah. Babbity rabbities <laughs> I am sorry. I am I am very beetle the Bard territory right now in my mindset.
2: I'm going to have to agree with what Bailey's saying. No matter what house that you're from, uh you can always have a a, a tendency to go the down the dark path. I mean, it doesn't Death Eaters aren't just limited to Gryffindors and Slytherins, you know, or Ravenclaws even. It's that, you know, anybody anybody has the free will and the choice to be able to determine their own destiny, right? And that includes Hufflepuffs as well. That includes puckwudgies and Thunderbirds and, you know, everything else from Thunderbirds. <laughs> the schools of uh of abroad. <laughs> but I I I I I believe that, you know, you can. I mean, you don't even have to be of a certain house to be a, uh, I'm sorry, to be a Death Eater. All right. Next question. Lavender and brown. What a gross color combination. Is this foreshadowing to the way that her character was? What do we think?
3: It had never crossed my mind until I read this. And now that I've read it, I can never unrate it because yuck. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's all I have.
0: Come on, pur- purpley, light purpley brown. That could be, that could be all right. Why do people hit on brown so much?
1: It sounds like a delightful lavender latte to me. So I don't know why <sighs> it's like sounds so
0: awesome.
1: awful. Oh yeah, they're the best. Um, Basic, hello. Um,
0: <laughs> I guess I'm showing my true colors.
1: <laughs> oh my god. And we're going there. Go home. Um, I don't Go know. Home. Like, I, get, I get that she gets kind of obnoxious um, in her relationship with Ron, but in the end, she kind of has her redeeming moments. I mean, in the Battle of Hogwarts, my heart kind of broke for the you know, lack of conclusion that we have on her life story. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know. I get, I I laughed when I read this question. And honestly, Darence, your answer just made me giggle. And to Bailey's point, I will never be able to unsee the name Lavender Brown in this awful context, but I'm trying to associate her with a delightful lavender latte, like a basic witch. So there you go.
2: I mean, it's a very ugly color combination, let's face it. And I think this is like kind of foreshadowing to her character because she was ugly with jealousy. You know, she may have been very beautiful or very beautifully described in the books or played by, you know, a beautiful actress. But on the inside, Lavender Brown, the character herself, was just a very ugly person because she just wanted Ron to herself and was willing to go to any means to be able to do that. So that's not something of a very beautiful person would would would
0: do. There's there's definitely no no loss of meaning in the names that that JK has always given to her characters, right? I mean that's always been a pretty main focus from early on and Lavender Brown was named early on book 1 that was a name that we knew we didn't necessarily know the character but it was a character that was there in their year in Gryffindor from the get-go and I I don't know how much of her story was plotted out early on or you know as kids grow up and as the story grows up we find out more about her but I mean she was she was a, a kid right and fell for the the hot goalie on the quidditch team right and i mean she was very much enamored i don't really vilify her um it was teeny lust and it was kind of gross at times but but i feel like everyone's been there to an extent at one point of being enamored with somebody and just falling head over heels with somebody that maybe it's not gonna work out and guess what it's probably not gonna out and living through that and I'm kind of glad that we got to see that on screen yeah I'm I'm glad that we got to see this messy teenage breakup happen right it's it's ugly it's not fun it's hard to do breaking up's not easy but guess what it's a part of life and it's unfortunate that she was on that side of it because I do think she was head over heels for Ron and I'm I stand for Ron I, I like Ron but that wasn't a good matchup that just, it just wasn't because, well, I say that we don't really know much about her. Maybe it was, maybe it was perfect. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Not me.
2: Do we think that's kind of do we think it's foreshadowing to kind of what you just dissected? Like, do you, do you think that because the, the first name and the last name just really are again, two hideous colors, um, that obviously those colors don't survive outside the color palette, could could that be that she didn't survive at all? What do you think?
0: It could just be okay. If if we're gonna really really dig into the the color aspect of her name and and make that her defining characteristic, I would say that at the at the end of the story, it just isn't fitting within our hero trio. That that to me would be the thing that makes most sense with what we know of her and her. Part in the story and it's just a hey these don't fit and guess what unfortunately she doesn't fit in the main story for us
2: what color I, i'm googling this answer right now <laughs> um what what color does lavender and and brown make um and i'm thinking a lighter
0: lighter brown
2: well gosh i was kind of hoping that it would be like a black
0: color uh, no, never mind. Never mind. Not. Okay. No, okay. it's a beautiful brown.
2: I see. Oh, it smells this. great. <laughs> I don't. Well, I'm. I. I'm
0: just and kidding, it I smells I'm phenomenal. <laughs> okay. Never mind. I know you like to think your lavender don't stink, but
1: the exact thought I have had the entire time we've had this discussion. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Okay, so let's move on to our final question here. It centers around what kind of magic was Tom Riddle doing before Hogwarts, and it may be this will fall into the same line of magic that Harry did before Hogwarts. But I really want to focus on the aspect of Tom here, um, and it was just really I don't I don't know if there's a name for it. It's obviously that some obviously something he couldn't control, right? Or could he just make himself do things at
0: will so i don't know who will is but um i I feel like tom riddle was was controlling things much more effectively than harry was by the time they were that age and he was he was doing things actively to control the children around him and harry had no inkling that what what i've always termed on must not be named, is stress-driven magic. The internal self-preservation type magic that Harry displays seems to just be something that's inherently protecting him. I feel like that has always been different than what we learn. Tom Riddle was able to do in childhood of manipulating people and actively making things happen around him. I look at them slightly differently, and some of that is just Tom Riddle's innate ability as a wizard.
2: All right, very well put, Luke. Thank you so much for that. And let's move on to our next segment here, The Smells of Hogwarts. It is a listener favorite of the podcast. And today we're going to talk about what the Astronomy Tower would smell like. So anybody have an initial thought here before I steal it from everybody else?
3: <laughs> Fresh air and like, I don't know, metallic like instruments, like that metallic tang.
2: Like new car smell?
3: No. Fresh like, air? I don't know. Almost like ugh, rusting old like metal instruments, you know, like the the, the things that you use when you do astronomy. <laughs> For lack of eloquent words,
0: yeah, that smells like the things you use when you do astronomy. Um, Yeah, no, I, I could put my finger right on that, or my my nose. I can put my nose. I follow my nose wherever it goes. Call me Toucan Sam. Um, I I think it smells like Pike's Peak, thin air. What is this, that too literal for you, Alex? Is, Am I in trouble again?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly was going to go for the super, like, hippy-dippy answer and say that there's probably a lingering smell of, like, incense for sure. Um, I just I, – I don't know why I get a vibe. Well, I'm feeling vibes.
2: That's the same thing that I had thought, Alex, but I thought more of, like, okay. a sweet cake incense maybe if there is – a, th- a, th- a thing such as cake incense. I don't. I don't know. Or maybe like a Glade plug-in like Island Coconut or something. I, I don't. I don't know. Um, something sweet, definitely. I. I and it's completely opposite of what Bailey was just saying. With you know, it would smell like astronomy things. Which, thank God, I wouldn't want it to smell like the potions dungeon or anything like that. But um, good stuff.
0: I- I feel like there's a better chance of it smelling just like night air and metallic instruments than flowery things to me yeah
3: i don't I don't see people bringing like scented things up into the astronomy tower now if we were talking about like Trelawney's office.
0: Oh my god! I mean, and we're also there at night, right? I mean, so we don't have sunlight beating down on things. We don't have things being as centiferous for a vocabulary word uh, usage for us, but it, things aren't as smellifological <laughs> at night. <laughs> as they are in the morning, right? I mean, When the you,
3: air is cooler, the scents are weakened.
0: They're a little bit dampened. It, they're not quite the same they are as they are at say 10 a.m. and the sun's coming out and they're warming things up. That makes things much more aromatic and you're going to smell those things from the greenhouses, especially Greenhouse 3, which is dangerous. Be careful. Tread carefully.
2: I, I was thinking, okay, so Now that you had said that with, you know, like you not being able to smell things good at night, I'm going to have to disagree because I think as you take away one sense and the sense of sight at night, right, we can't really see too well in the dark that your other senses are kind of honed in a little bit more. So you might smell things a little bit stronger in the astronomy tower or in, you know, darker places than what you would normally like it's it's more sharpened it's 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 fine-tuned i i i just thought of the perfect one have you guys ever been on Soren in uh disney yes okay
1: heck yes my favorite so i think orange field
2: yeah it smells really really good uh but i'm thinking kind of like that sense like you're flying over the um like the uh new schwanstein castle in germany and that smell just kind of hitting you a fa- in the face of that, like, fresh mountain air. I'm kind of getting that kind of a vibe for the Astronomy Tower. I don't know why.
1: Well, Bailey, have you been on Soaring Over the World? Because I know you've been on Soaring Over California. The but have you been to
3: the one time at Disney I went, World? The last, No, I've not been to the one at Disney World. And even the last time I went to California Adventure was 2002 oh Holy wow cow.
0: wow <laughs> 18 years ago dating I the podcast
3: I was uh, a little one <laughs> wow well because I was
1: gonna say there are different scents on the one in California but I have been on both so I know the exact scent that you're talking about parents <laughs> and I highly agree um and this is where i I feel like there's a division here on the podcast where there are some super creative types, uh, Darren's and myself. And then there is the Ravenclaw who has to be literal about literal about like D all the above, which we all know is Luke, and Luke's gotta be like really technical about it. And there's like the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> there's this mechanical voice in my head that's always like Oh, minus five points for Ravenclaw. That was not creative.
0: <laughs> minus Except five. Except that she points. is like the most logical character in the book. She is the most Ravenclaw teacher we've ever seen. Except
1: to be fair, it's not mic drop.
0: Move on. Let's move on to our
2: next segment here, and this is the story game. Now, I'm going to throw out a passage from *Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald* screenplay, um, and the object is to keep going and. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So so the passage uh, starts at page 241 on the original screenplay of Fantastic Beast, The Crimes of Grindelwald. And it starts with, she flings her arms around his neck. Queenie reading his mind. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I never should have done it. I love you so much, Jacob. And you know that I love you, right? Queenie. Yeah. Jacob. Good. Now let's get the hell out of here.
3: Uh, well, I think then Queenie is going to... Tell Jacob that she did not mean to wash his white shirts with all of her red dresses and that she is so very sorry for turning them all pink.
0: Oh, and, 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 and clearly Jacob is going to say, well, how was I supposed to know? I'm just I'm just a muggle from America. We don't have washing machines yet. It's the 1920s.
1: To which... Queenie lovingly replies that she will show him the future and that everything will be fine in the meantime she is plotting her spells to not only advance his knowledge but fall more deeply in love with her, even though deep down in his spirits he is resistant to it
2: and Jacob turned to Queenie while he caught while he grabbed a copy of. The spell book of Sears. And Queenie said, Oh, honey, there's washing machines in here. To which Jacob replied, Sears, huh? This could be a catchy thing.
3: And then Jacob plotted how to open up his own appliance store so that one day his descendants would be very, very successful.
0: All right, listen, honey, we're going to have lawnmowers. We're going to have ovens. We're going to have microwaves. We're going to have it all. We're going to have everyone be a baker at their own home.
1: (laughs) And turning into a rather curmudgeon New Yorker, um, Jacob (laughs) then also says, we're going to have a section just for the donuts because I can't forget my bacon roots.
2: Jacob then said, I have a great idea. We'll call it Kenmore and the washing machine will be called Whirlpool because it looks like a pool it has a whirl in it and the whirl goes clockwise and so the first two appliance names of sears were thus created
0: and that's how you play next one
2: (laughs) that is the story game oh my god i did not expect us to go full-blown sears on that one
0: (laughs) Um. you know they used to sell houses they did show up yeah uh, on trains with your house. Yeah. They yeah. would bring all of the supplies of your entire house I to your town nice. and then build your house. <laughs> That's what happened. They sold houses. Happened. There it is. Ravenclaw. Out. <laughs> <My God>. <laughs> <laughs> <Ravenclawed>. <laughs> Before we get
2: out of here today, we're going to play Avada Kedavra, Amortensia, Imperio, and we'll just go in order here. I'll give to Bailey. Bailey, you'll give to Luke. Luke, you'll give to Alex. And Alex, please do not give me any animals or plants. Um, The first first
3: one. Give him all the animals and plants.
2: Oh, my God. Best of luck. All right, Bailey. Your three are Victor Crumb, Ronald Weasley, and Minerva McGonagall.
3: (laughs) Well I'm going to Avada Kedavra, the Bulgarian Bonbon bon, Victor Crumb. Bonbon <laughs> What well,
2: what are you talking about the the Bulgarian Bonbon bon. I don't know why I'm still stuck in this accent <laughs>
3: Uh I'm going to Imperio Ron to I don't know. Convince Hermione to go get some books for me. That's what's going to happen.
0: That's <laughs> a great
3: use of Ron. Going... <laughs> let's let's it's go ahead. Said, that
0: might be Ron's best potential. <laughs> 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 I love Ron, but he might peak there. Okay.
3: <laughs> and then that obviously leaves McGonagall for Amortentia because McGonagall is a boss.
0: True story. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
3: Oh, Okay. I didn't prepare for this, so we're just gonna wing it. Luke, are you ready?
0: Always, every minute of my life.
3: Okay, we've got Igor Karkaroff, Barty Crouch Junior. I
0: like where this is going. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm and interested
0: in Snape. Snape. Oh my gosh! And and who? Who was the and third? Snape. Oh, it's Snape. Snape kill him. <laughs> Dead, done. Uh, no, I'm I'm not. Yeah, I mean bcj is my guy i love that guy that dude is so talented are you Why? kidding me he is one of the most talented characters we've ever seen in this series
1: he makes my skin crawl
0: he is the best
1: He's i so
3: good at being bad
2: oh my gosh we could talk about this for hours but like Oh, okay, so I have to put BC, a pin in this. B.
0: C. J. is one of the most underratedly well-written characters because how long? I mean, how many times do you read Book Four and you think of Mad Eye Moody as Bad Eye Moody? Mad Eye Moody, Bad Eye Moody. Who the <laughs> hell is
3: Bad Eye? <laughs> but like, it's uh, so it's well, Barty well Crouch, done. Brody.
0: <laughs> oh, it's it's so well done. Barty Crouch Jr. to sell that role to even Albus Dumbledore. Throughout an entire year, I mean, come on, that's talent. I mean, that's, come on, that's where I'm at with him. After doing a chapter-by-chapter review of him <laughs> without being able to talk about him, I've got a huge respect for him. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, Amartensia, BCJ, and, uh, yeah, okay, Igor Karkarov, Oh, you know that's fine. I could put him to work doing something i I don't really know what, but I could find something for him to do. um yeah, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> we'll circle around <laughs> alex you saw you you showed a lot of dissent for my choice there, so I'm gonna give you your options. Are you ready?
1: Oh, God, yeah
0: <laughs> Professor Horace Slughorn, oh, professor. Dolores Umbridge, <laughs> not Professor Gregory Goyle. <laughs> <laughs> not Professor okay. Goyle. Okay, I got that
2: uh, one. That
3: just Okay, that made me think of uh, Big Bang Theory, and it's you know, like doctor, 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 mister. <laughs> mister.
1: <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So um,
0: Slughorn, Umbridge, Goyle.
1: Okay, for sure, kill Umbridge. That's the easiest of this election. Um, I would Imperio Goyle to just do absurd things to make up for all the stupid evil things he and his lineage have ever done. And I would Cupcakes. for sure... What?
0: Cupcakes. You know, oh, fall asleep. Yeah.
1: Just be a goob. Um, goob. Just be his natural self. I wouldn't have to do much on that front. Um, not complicated magic. And then I would for sure Immortentia Professor Slughorn. Um, he is well-connected. Um, he is very brilliant. Um, he also has some really redeeming qualities towards the end when she gets past his selfishness and his ego. Um, and he is a character that I do adore by the end of the series. So that's what I would
2: do. I'm I'm loving the networking aspect, Yusef Slughorn. That's pretty cool. Like, turn you know? turn Slughorn, turn Slughorn's, like, charm uh, on himself, you know? Let him, because that's what he does with people. It's the responsible
0: choice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he could be my arm candy. Thank you very much. There you, you go. He's been using everyone else to be his little shelf candy. You could be my arm candy, buddy. Come on. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> All right. T, you ready for it? I'm ready. Okay. Um. So your options are, nearly headless Nick, the bloody Baron, or the Fat Friar. Oh,
2: great! All all ghosts.
0: <laughs>
2: I didn't say anything about Happy
0: ghosts.
2: Got it. Okay. Well, I mean, could you really a kedavra a ghost? I don't. Oh. They tried it in book two. Yeah.
0: They tried. <laughs> um.
1: So it's just like the Diet Coke version.
0: It's the Diet Coke evil, Just one calorie, that even enough.
2: (laughs) So I would, Avada Kedavra, the fat fryer, uh, honestly couldn't think of a solid use for him. Um, And, I mean, I I just, I I can't really see anything that he would be good at. I would Imperio at Nearly Headless Nick, um, almost for the same reason, Alex, that you would... Uh, Amortentia Slughorn is the networking aspect because he seems well connected with the other ghosts that are in the castle and maybe even other ghosts that are throughout the wizarding world in the UK um, or in Europe for that matter. Um, and then I would amortensia the Bloody Baron because I really find his story tragic um, and he could definitely use a little bit of love.
1: I love that answer, especially for the Bloody Baron. That's yeah.
2: wonderful. All right, well, that does it, and thank you so much to everyone for keeping us sane during our socialization. So, 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 I tried to combine social <laughs> and isolation. Didn't work out too well. I'm going to stop doing that. Uh, but we appreciate
3: some the exercises. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we appreciate the support that you show the podcast day in day out. And don't forget to check out The Unfoundables on patreon.com slash unfoundables and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to stay up to date with the show. Uh, be sure to check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash Media. That does it you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Once again, I'm Terrence Pinkston. I'm Bailey Riddle. I'm Luke Hogan.
1: And I'm Alex Loman
2: and we'll see you next time for episode 260. Bye-bye.
1: That was bloody